Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Glenn Taylor, Chief Executive of Stocks Taylor Benson. Stocks Taylor Benson is a graphic design studio based in Leicester. Glenn, hello. Hello, hi. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? It's it's a figurehead, really. It's somebody that um, a company can look to for direction mm-hmm. um, and want to follow. Um, that's how I see it. And how do you lead? What is your personal leadership style? I like to share everything I can with everybody. So um, 99.9% of all information I share with everybody within the business. Um, I think that brings people on board to be part of a team. Um, and they feel part of something then that they can feel as if they're contributing every day and they're going to get something out of it. Um, so whether it's good news or bad news, everything's shared. When it is good news, we try to share profits and things like that. So being a leader, I think, is, is leading from the front and showing what can be done and inspiring people. Now, of course, uh, you lead quite a few people, and of course, people are fallible. They have uh, issues with each other at times. Sometimes they're ill. Sometimes they have things going on at home. How do you handle uh, these challenges when they arise? It, it, that's been a very difficult thing over the years. Um, I used to think everybody ought to be treated the same, but over the time, I've realized that everybody has to be treated differently. Everybody's an individual. So I like to listen to people. I like to encourage them to come and speak to me or my fellow directors and mm-hmm. explain their problems. So we know what's going on in the background in their family lives and we can give them some slack at work to help them through situations. So it really has to be a comprehensive approach to people management. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I think, um, as I say, in the past, I've, I've tried to treat everybody the same and perhaps come up with rules that um, help me control people a little bit but over years I've realized the best way is to just sit down with individuals and treat them as individuals Mm -hmm. Um, people really seem to appreciate that let's go back to an earlier time in your career when you were first starting out was there a particular individual who inspired you to become the leader you are today um no not really if I was honest um I was quite naive. I was only 25 when I originally decided to start my own business um, with a couple of other guys. And um, I thought everything was going to be very simple and straightforward and I could do everything easily myself and soon realize it's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> so it's really... So overcom- no, there's no way- Sorry. It's really overcoming those challenges that shaped you. Oh, yes, definitely. And realizing that making mistakes is probably a good thing. Because you learn from them. If you don't make any mistakes, um, well, you'd, you'd be some sort of superhero. But you can learn from those mistakes, and everything then becomes you, your experience grows, and you know how to tackle situations when they come along. And of course, experience and learning is a is an essential part of an employee uh, employee's journey towards leadership. Um, do you have any mentorship schemes uh, in your company? Yes, um, we. I mentor certain members of the staff and then other directors mentor others. Um, Some people like that. Others, I always think you've got some people who want a career and some people who want a job. Mm 
Mm. And there's a place for both of those people within an organisation. But you need to really encourage those people who want a career because they're the ones who are probably going to take on the responsibilities later in the development of the business. So, yes, we, we, do, we do mentor people and we train people, we invest in people as much as we possibly can. Because at the end of the day, that's all we've got. And how do you identify those two different groups of people? Um, just by getting to know them. It's, as I was saying earlier, really, it's trying to understand them as people. Um, you need people who just want a job. And you also need people, if everybody wanted a career and a, um, a jolly in for position within a business, that can be awkward. And I've been in that mm-hmm. position before. And I think you need to understand which people are happy to work from nine till five and do a really good job. Which ones are prepared to put that extra bit of effort in to progress? Um, and there is a place for both. Now, if I was a young man who joined your company and was looking for a career in your field, what would be the first piece of advice you'd give me? Um, it's a difficult one in my particular business because we're graphic designers. The first thing I'd say is learn to draw because most <laughs> people who now, most people who come out of university can't draw, believe it or not. Um, so we have to give uh, drawing lessons to people. I, I teach people to draw. Um, and it, it's really believing in yourself and believing that you can do things mm-hmm. and never see anything as a, as a problem, see it as a challenge. It's interesting that you state that uh, one would think that in the field of graphic design, everyone is a dab hand with a pen. Uh, is this something that needs to be addressed at the university or secondary school level? Oh, definitely, yes. Um, over the years, uh, the advent of the Apple Mac computer and technology has meant that people don't draw anymore. And uh, we, we have a massive competitive advantage here in being able to draw. Mm-hmm. You can sit in front of a client and sketch something out when you're talking through a brief. They, they, they're incredibly impressed. Um, and there's very few agencies who can still do that. And of course, it's a, it's a personal touch that one doesn't get uh, in a computer-generated image. Absolutely right, yes. It's all around um, conceptual thinking. Um, and when you're sitting in front of a customer and talking about a brief, they feel engaged because you're able to show them visually what, what you're thinking. Um, very few people can do that. And I would imagine uh, that with a, a hand-produced product, uh, end product, if you still do them, uh, they could be uh, sold at, uh, at a higher premium than uh, something that was computer-generated. It'd be nice to think that, <laughs> but it, unfortunately, it doesn't really work that way. Um, what it does do, though, is engage the customer. The customer feels part of the process. Um, we still use Apple Macs and mm-hmm. um, technology, but only in the later stages of a project. At the conceptual side, uh, beginnings, we own, we sketch things out and, and show things by hand. And it, it, it keeps things vague enough to um, not get bogged down in the detail, if that makes sense. So no ink and paint department left? Sorry, what was that So again? no ink and paint department left? Um, well, mark pens and paper mm-hmm. uh, everywhere. If you, people are always amazed when they come into our studio that there is sheets of paper and pens and pencils everywhere. Now, um, just to deviate from subject for a moment, um, if I was to ask you to identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's difficult. A I know. Question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've always admired uh, people like Nelson Mandela and uh, leaders like that. There are very few, though, when you actually sit and think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I sort of think of those iconic figures, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always impressed with Richard Branson, but he, um, I'm not sure, there, there, there are very few, uh, certainly no politicians that I can think of, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's interesting. Uh, figures like uh, Mandela and Branson, what I feel that they have in common is the ability to communicate uh, an issue or a campaign. Uh, and, yes. of course, in business, that's essential for leaders to be able to articulate uh, what their company's ethos and uh, products are. Um, now, unfortunately, our time together is rather quickly running to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Stocks Taylor Benson? Well, we're, we're, ex we're doing really well at the moment. We've now got a studio in London and one in Leeds as well as in Leicester. Fabulous. Um, so any, any, any towns beginning with L we seem to be investing in. Um, so we've, we're sort of working up and down the whole spine of the country and um, things are developing fast. It's very exciting. Um, obviously, we're concerned about Brexit. Um, that could have a major impact, but we're doing everything we can to to look to, to different markets and expand the business still. Well, Glenn, uh, you have to come back on the show in the uh, near future to let me know how that's all going. Glenn, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That was Glenn Taylor, Chief Executive of Stocks Taylor Benson. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Plunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. 
And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time... Uh, as Home Section in government. Um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children. By inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that 
honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's It's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities... They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper. And I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you. They compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, Mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after No, I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose And then five you lose 5-0 yeah. at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no 
drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 People, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, w- I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If... But part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for Mm. an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't don't do it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how these uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either um, oh, Well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, but again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud 
of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education... And employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse and you don't get everything right that's the other thing you've got to recognize which is why being part of a broader team being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind that that that's the the measure and i think if we can share those traits those experiences those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions. Perhaps in three things: what will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the thirty-first of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. And, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that 
there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.